Here we go. You're listening to Law Expo on this Tuesday, Wednesday, July the 19th in the year of our Lord, 2023. Boy, time is going so fast through here that I'm having trouble keeping up with what days it is. But what we do on Wednesdays is we take a look at a Bible passage, and we're looking at Proverbs chapter 22. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is tombaker at brick.net. That's B-R-I-C-K dot net. Uh, Especially on Fridays, we're looking at Proverbs 22. And the first verse we want to look at is drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. So we need to understand that the book of Proverbs makes a big distinction between believers and unbelievers. To drive out a scoffer, what is a scoffer? A scoffer is a person who has contempt for the belief of others. Now, This also happens in the church where you have maybe an individual who is always arguing with the theology of the church. In fact, we have pastors, even in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, who have trouble in defining theology according to what we have agreed to say. There are pastors who believe in evolution. There are pastors who do not believe that we are saved by grace, but our works make a difference. And you can hear that just by listening to their sermons. So God says, drive out someone who has contempt for others. And what will be the result? Strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. Now, you can imagine in a marriage, if you have one of the spouses always quarreling, well, that strife will continue. But if the spouse comes to a proper understanding of what a marriage is, then quarreling and abuse can cease. In fact, in a pastor's ministry, we run across a number of marriages that want to end up in divorce. And if you take a look at it, it's because there's a lot of quarreling, abuse, etc., that's going on in the marriage. Now, the greatest marriage we have is we are the bride of Christ. He is our groom. And when we scoff at what he has to say, wow, that's only going to lead to quarreling and abuse within a congregation. In contrast to that is verse 11. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. 
Now, these verses are really hard to understand if you just read the English. What king will you have as your friend? Well, remember Solomon, when he was writing this, was king of Israel. And when he deals with people who are pure in heart and they are gracious in their speech, then the king is their friend. That happened to Solomon when two women, they had a child and one of the children died. And both women claimed that the child that died or the child that was still alive was theirs. Solomon had to make a wise choice as to who the child really belonged to. So he said, well, here's what we'll do. We'll take the child and divide it up and give half to you and half to the other woman. Well, the one woman whose it was not her child, she said, that's fine. But the other woman said, no, no, let her keep the child. And Solomon realized who had the purity of heart and he gave the child to the proper mother. Her speech was gracious. That word gracious is really important in that verse because if they are speaking gracious things, then they are speaking the gospel. They're speaking about how they are willing to suffer for the sake of another. And that's what that mother was willing to do. Rather than have her child die, she was willing to let the other woman have it. And that would be a suffering on her part. But she had the king as his friend, as her friend. Now, we can also understand that from a Christian point of view, that Jesus is king. And when we speak words that are gracious, then he hears us and he is our friend. One of the texts that we look at is we do not know how to pray as we are supposed to, but the Holy Spirit takes our prayer. And guess what? It moves that prayer in such a way to the ears of the Father that he hears us. To hear us means more than his ears are working. No, it's kind of like a father tells a son, I'm going to the garage and while I'm gone, don't go in the basement. Well, because the son is, of course, a sinner, he rebels against the father. He goes in the basement. The father comes home, finds him in the basement, and he says, did you not hear me? The word hear there refers to not just auditory, but it also refers to why did you not obey me? So when God hears us, it means he responds to us in a wonderful and gracious way. And that's because our speech is gracious. 
It's gracious because regardless of our problems, we remember the gospel promises of Jesus Christ, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that all things will work together to our good. That may not be obvious to us at times, but it is a promise from God, and God never breaks his promises. That's clear from verse 12 of Proverbs 22. The eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge, but he overthrows the words of the traitor. Now, what does that mean? Well, the eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge. In Proverbs, knowledge is wisdom, the wisdom of Jesus Christ, his promises. And therefore, the eyes of the Lord can read your heart. You cannot read the heart of others, but the Lord can, and he can watch over your knowledge. But he overthrows the words of the traitor. What does that mean? Well, a lot of times somebody can tell you things that are simply not true. And you cannot discern whether what they are saying is correct or not. The idea of being a traitor means this is a treacherous person. And this verse says, The eyes of the Lord, he keeps watch over knowledge. He can read the motivation and hearts of others. In other words, this verse is saying that God can discern those who are telling you the truth and those who are not. And he overthrows the words of the traitor. Now, that traitor can mean that he's giving false teaching or he's doing wrong things in the church. I just heard of a pastor who was removed from the ministry because they found that he was taking money from the congregation. And therefore, it's really important that you have honest people making the count and putting the money right into the bank and a finance committee that knows how much there is, etc. Every pastor can have a temptation to become a trader. Uh, for example, I had a shut-in that I would visit, and she so appreciated our ministry that she wanted to give me the house that she lived in. She was going to put that in her will. And I told her, no, you just put it up for sale and if I have the money, I can buy it. And if not, then it can go to someone else. But I did not want to receive something free like that from her. Well, she ended up giving the house to her cousin, which was fine with me because a pastor needs to be very careful that he doesn't use the riches of others to make himself look good. 
But then she said, by the way, I have stocks and bonds and I receive money for them. And she said, go to my closet and there's a pillow in there and it's filled with cash. So I did that. And when I brought it to her, she says, I want to give this to the church, but I want it to be anonymous because I, I don't want my relatives to know that I gave that much money to the church and not to them. Well, I went right home, called my wife Louise. We counted the money. It was over $3,000. I could have kept that money myself and nobody would have been the wiser because she had made it clear she didn't want it known that she was the one giving it. But by God's grace, we had a finance committee the next day and I handed them the pillow with the money in it and told the treasurer who it was that gave the money. But to keep that private. And there was a possibility that I could have made $3,000 with nobody knowing it. But what would that have meant? It says the eyes of the Lord would have kept watch over my knowledge and he would overthrown, overthrew the words of the traitor and I would have become a traitor to the church. There was a pastor who was just removed because he had taken money from the church. God can discern us. Verse 13, the sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. What does that mean? See, this is an example where people can read the Bible they can read the English, they can understand the English words, but they have no idea what it means. Well, first of all, the word sluggard is used throughout Proverbs to talk about a lazy person. And a lazy person loves to give excuses why they did not get their work done. Uh, that's why Anytime you have construction work done on your house, maybe fixing a roof or putting up a new wall or whatever, do not pay the person the money ahead of time until they have accomplished the work. Because there are those who will take the money and not do the work properly or just not do the work and they will give an excuse. Well, the weather was not correct, or this cost us more than we thought it was going to. What does a sluggard say? There is a lion outside. In other words, that is his excuse to avoid doing the work that he is assigned. Now in Solomon's day, there were no lions in populated areas. There were 
some in the forests uh, around the River Jordan and in other places in Palestine. But the idea that a person would say, I can't do the work because there is a lion outside would be ridiculous. That would be like me in St. Louis saying, well, I can't go visit a shut-in because there is a lion around. Well, that's ridiculous. There is no lions. And then even worse, the second part, although the English says, I shall be killed in the streets, the actual word there is murder. I shall be murdered in the streets by a lion. And that's why a lazy person gives an excuse so he can avoid to do work. This often happens with children because they're born with original sin and it's the task of a parent to help them out. And we'll get to that in a couple of verses. But let's take a look at verse 14. The mouth of forbidden women is a deep pit. He with whom the Lord is anger, angry will fall into it. Now, what does that mean? The mouth of forbidden women. Well, the word forbidden also can be translated as stranger. So the mouth of a stranger is a deep pit. When I first became a pastor in St. Louis, we received seminarians assigned to my church. And we would often have meals together. We, we liked going to a Chinese restaurant with their whole family. And we would do that on Sundays and we would discuss theology, etc. But a lot of times on Friday, we would just go out driving around at night and I had a police radio. And what we would do, there were a lot of fires that would go on. And so we would attempt to go to the fire even before the fire engines got there. And part of the reason for that is as a pastor, I had the opportunity to perhaps help out those whose house or residence was burning down. They needed a place to sleep. And we did have congregations in the St. Louis area that would help out there. But many of the fires were in poor neighborhoods. And when we went there, what would you see standing on corners? You would see strange women. That is, women that you did not know. And this is what this verse is talking about. The mouth of forbidden women is a deep pit. I, I can't understand how individuals will pay money for these women in, in order to fool around with them. Their mouth is forbidden. And it is a deep pit. And he with whom the Lord is angry will fall into it. In other words, 
those who break their marriage covenant with fornication or adultery will fall into the pit of hell itself as they fool around with the mouths of forbidden strangers who are women. The Lord will not take that lightly, but allow negative consequences to come to that individual, which then moves us to children. Verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 15, Proverbs 22. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. What is this talking about? Well, once again, the word folly is a word referring to the stupidity of people because of original sin. You see, when a child is born, that child has original sin. And therefore, much of what they are going to do is out of selfishness, out of pride. Uh, what's in it for me? And therefore, that folly, that stupidity is bound up in the heart of a child. They need a new heart. And that occurs in baptism. Remember what David asked? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So this is the distinction we find throughout the Bible, particularly in Romans chapter 7, between the old man that has that folly as a heart and the new man who has the heart driven by the Holy Spirit. It's really talking about a life of sanctification. And how do you move a child to the work of the Holy Spirit? That is done also with the rod of discipline. Now, that doesn't mean that you beat a child, but that you discipline a child, because then you are driving from him his falliness, his stupidity, his original sin. The more a child is disciplined, and that discipline can, for example, include not watching his favorite television program or not being able to be on the baseball team he wants to be on, but it is a way of getting them to properly follow the will of God. And the more they are disciplined, the more that folly is driven from them. It is so sad to hear parents saying, oh, I don't want to punish my child because he won't like me. Well, not punishing a child who needs proper discipline means they grow up in a world thinking that the world is all theirs and folly is not removed from their heart. Verse 16, whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Now, the first part is pretty obvious. 
if you oppress the poor to increase your own wealth. How does that occur? Well, some time ago, I used to have houses that I would rent out. And I could really charge quite a bit because people didn't have a house. And that would increase my own wealth. But high rates of rental would be oppressing the poor. So I did not do that. I tried to give them a rate they could afford, which would also pay for any repairs I had to do, etc. To oppress the poor, to increase your own wealth, God recognizes that, and that is contrary to his will. But the second part is hard to understand. Or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Why would people give to a rich person? Well, think about it. They give to a rich in order to manipulate them, in order to make them their friends. James talks about that in the church, where a poor person, boy, he's hardly recognized. But a rich person, people gather around. And God recognizes that, and it will lead to poverty rather than richness. So we have Proverbs 22 that has some great sayings here. And of course, you can't give to God who is rich. I'm Tom Baker. Join us tomorrow. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.